1: You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott.
2: Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, we're recapping media day for the Pac-12, and we are joined by the world-famous Brett. CNC from Pick 6 Previews. I'm Cameron, and we got Ryan. Hey, Ute Nation. And we don't have Scott. (sighs) And the crowd goes wild. We actually get to talk this episode, right? I know, right? Scott is out on a business trip, if you want to call it what it is. Uh, So he won't be here, uh, but hopefully we get him back next time. Uh, If you haven't listened yet, the last episode, we kind of broke down the defense. Uh, When Scott gets back in town, we'll kind of do a preview of the offense. Uh, But we really wanted to at least get another episode out, kind of talk about what's going on with uh, the Utes, with with Media Day. And really, I mean, when we had the opportunity to have Brett on from Pick 6 Previews, we couldn't turn that down. Uh, So we definitely had to get something together. Ryan, Utes are picked to win not only the South, but the whole league. This is awesome i mean the hype train is running it's screaming down the tracks right now i was surprised i like i thought they would win the south or predict to win the south but then when it came out that they were the winners of the conference over oregon and washington yeah that surprised me too i
0: think a little bit i i did i did anticipate them being picked to win the south but to be the overall champs uh was a little bit of a surprise but i think A lot of that has to, I mean, Utah's finally earning the respect of, well, in this case, the media. This is the, the the Pac-12 media is the one who chose them. And, um, they're at a point
2: now where they've earned that. They've earned the respect. So this is like the cynical part of me, right? Did, did the votes just get split between Oregon and Washington? And that's why Utah won. Or do you think they're really getting that respect? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a valid point. I think that there, uh, that
0: definitely could, could have played a factor in it because both Washington and Oregon, uh, are, are predicted to have great seasons and be in the hunt for the, for the North Division and obviously for the, for the title. Um, however, I mean, I think when you look at the overall view from media from across the country, Utah is getting significant recognition. Uh, and not that Oregon and Washington aren't, but there's just a different feel this year. I mean, you and me and Scott have sat here, sat around this table for the past several seasons and, and got hyped up and talked about how this is, this is going to be a good year and the potential. But had, never have we had the backing of media across the country we never get it locally we never will <laughs> <laughs> never will. <laughs> but but this is this is this, it's cool and it's different and you never know how this is going to play out i mean injuries play a huge factor in college football um and they have to go out there and live up to this hype that's been put on them now but it's still fun
2: to talk about and to think about the potential of this team. It is fun, and it's great to get that recognition. Um, And I know something we want to talk to Brett about with with his predictions with the playoffs and Utah. But does Utah need to have this underdog mentality? Do they still need it? It, it, I went back and looked at the 2008 poll uh, for preseason in the Mountain West. They were picked second behind BYU. 29 first votes for BYU. Utah only got five first-place votes. So they kind of had an underdog kind of all that season because they had BYU and TCU, you know, right mm-hmm. there. It kind of worries me as a Utah fan. It kind of seems like they, they perform better as an underdog, especially with a winning hand program. I don't know if they can take that step, that but, next step yeah. and be the big dog. It'll
0: be interesting to watch this play out because in all of our years, being Utah fans, um, they've always had that underdog, underdog mentality. Um, and Um And a lot of the, a lot of the time they've had to have had to have that i mean coming from the mountain west conference and being the initial bcs busters they were obviously underdogs going up against Pitt in the fiesta bowl and they were obviously underdogs uh in 2009 going up against alabama in the sugar bowl um they've they've always had that mentality and whittingham has has
2: has he's almost like he strived in that he likes to people count him out yeah yeah and count his and overlook his program absolutely
0: and and uh and and that's a good way as, i mean as a coach as a leader that's a good way to motivate your team to to tell them that nobody believes in you that that nobody outside of this locker room thinks that you're any good that you can't win this i mean that that's motivation right there to, to go out and prove everybody wrong. And now the target's on their back, and everybody's going to be gunning for right. them. And so that's com- that's a complete mentality shift. At least we're not in the locker room. Maybe their mentality's different than us as fans, but from a fan standpoint... We always view them as, as an,
2: or have viewed them as an underdog in the past, and it's going to be different this year. Yeah, because now they'll actually have to prove it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what you're saying. The mentality has to shift that now they're getting this respect, this recognition, and now they have to go out and prove it, which, yes, I mean, that, that's a bad problem to have, right? Sure. You're being voted to mm-hmm. win the, the, the Pac-12, getting recognition as a, a playoff sleeper, those are good problems to have. And, and I don't mind by any means are trying to say I don't want that because I'd rather mm-hmm. have that than, than the latter and, and not have any recognition sure. at all. So some other things coming out of Pac-12. Let's just touch it very briefly because that has been hitting the airwaves. Bradley and I's comments about BYU. Can we just tell people to take a chill pill and read the entire quote? Well, yes, we should tell them to do that, but the local media will just skip right on
0: over the top of that and spin it how they want to and cause
2: controversy. And then kind of the the last kind of highlight out of there, at least that kind of hit hit me, Larry Scott talked about 9 o'clock kickoff games for the Pac-12. A lot of people are jumping on board with it. I'm not sure I'm there. On a Saturday? I'm still in bed
0: at 9 a.m.
2: <laughs> Come on, Larry. I mean, I, I, I see the point that it, it would be noon on the east, on the east coast. And that's where the, a lot of the eyeballs are. That's where a lot of voters are. But but really, when the product on the field isn't as great as other P5s, I and mean, let's be honest, it's not as great as other P5s, and your TV deal sucks, <laughs> does it matter what time you kick off? When you're on the Pac-12 network at, at 9 a.m. on the Pacific coast, no one can watch you. So it yeah, why does it matter yeah. if it's at nine a.m. or nine p.m.? Yeah, I don't think
0: it does. Uh, so we're going from Pac twelve after dark to Pac twelve at the breakfast table. I mean, come on. <laughs> to me, night games are college football. I, I I understand back you know back before big television deals. Typically, college football was played you know middle mid after, mid to early afternoon. Um. But with, with TV and the exposure and, and night games being more popular, the atmosphere at night to me is so much more fun. I, and I, I don't love 8.30 kickoffs because you get home at one o'clock in the oh, morning. And by the time you can get to bed after a yeah. game, it's like two. But, but a six o'clock kickoff, a seven o'clock kickoff, even a five o'clock kickoff in November is, I like that. I like playing
2: under the lights. That's. I mean, I'm not playing, but I like being there when the teams are playing. Well, under and how, the lights. Are, how are how are not only are our fans? How do, how do you get juiced at nine a.m. to cheer on your team? How are the players going to function oh, at nine yeah. in the morning? I mean these these college kids they roll out of bed and, and show up to their first class in PJs. I mean we've all done it, right? When we we're in college, when we're at work, I need that first coke dr pepper to kind of get me in the get me going in the morning and i'm not usually good until about 10 i can't even imagine going out and playing a division one game at nine in the morning i mean that means you're you're waking guys up at what five yeah
0: you gotta at least that early because you've got to have them i mean if if you follow the same same schedule that whittingham has has gone with in the past of having a team walk and a team meal and and the, the ute walk <laughs> to the stadium i mean. If you're you're talking a 9 a.m. kickoff, the Ute walk is going to be at 6.30 in the morning? I mean, no one's going to come to that. (laughs) To me, this is, I mean, again, my opinion, this, in my opinion, that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of all of this, but
2: it's just another example of Larry Scott not knowing what he's doing. No, exactly, and and I get to back to my point of, of their distribution. If they had a distribution with ESPN, like a full ESPN deal, I think they would get more eyeballs no matter what time. Mm-hmm. If if you have something with ESPN, they are going to pub you up. They have to. They they need the money. Mm-hmm. Look at BYU. BYU and ESPN's deal, BYU gets a lot of talk on, on, on their college shows, more than they probably should. Mm-hmm. They're all, they're usually always picking game day for their game on who, who, what team to win when they you know go around the panel. That's where his issues are. I don't again. I don't think it matters what time you kick off if you don't have distribution mm-hmm. and it's terrible. No one's gonna watch it anyway. Yeah, agree. So don't make the game suffer.
0: The Pac-12 network deal, their TV deal is is abysmal and needs to be completely redone and and he just needs to be replaced.
2: So I think that's kind of our thoughts around Pac 12 Media Day and kind of the things that happen. We'd love to hear what you have to say and think, uh, especially about the those nine o'clock kickoff games. Um, if that's something you are interested in or something you agree with, uh, with the Pac 12 move in that direction, you can always hit us up on Twitter at Utah Man Podcast.
0: Yeah, please uh, let us know. So when we come back in a week or so with our offensive preview, we can, you know, address, uh, what every you know kind of the majority of what people's thoughts are do they like it do they
2: don't do they not like it before we bring in our guest brett cnc we'll let you know that that interview is brought to you by a great sponsor with double tree suites by hilton in salt lake city they're located at 110 west 600 south give them a call at 801-359-7800 or you can always go to hilton.com and they are the preferred hotel by pacto teams when they're coming into salt lake really looking forward to this interview super pumped about it brent Stancy from pick six previews i got his booklet this week and i cannot put it down it, it's phenomenal so it looks like he's on the phone let's hurry and bring him on hey brent how are you doing man
1: good thanks how are
2: you guys ah we can't complain always nice to be talking people. Nice. yeah a month,
1: a month away from kickoff too so we're, we're getting there it's it, it's within uh you know the the end is in sight so we're almost there
2: (laughs) so first off i mean i just want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day i know you're getting interviewed all over the place so i appreciate you taking time out of out of your day and night just to talk with us
1: yeah absolutely uh and and thanks for checking out the preview book um yeah I, i appreciate what you guys do on the podcast i I hop around, you know, school to school and area to area throughout the season and, and catch up a lot in the postseason. Um, or sorry, off season. Uh, yeah, I've tuned in to your guys' show. You guys do a great job. You can feel that you're passionate about it, which is surprisingly rare when I, when I listen to these shows, usually it's like the ones that are, um, you know, through 24 seven arrivals where they're, they're forced to do the podcast and it's just, it comes off as like, they're just, you know, they're, they're bored with it and they're just trying to clock out. But from, from guys like you guys, you can just feel the energy and, you love you know talking with each other, talking Utah football, and just the passion. So, I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm glad you got to check out the book too. And Thanks for having me on.
2: The I mean, the book's amazing, first of all, and yeah, how you right. do a lot all by yourself is all the info you have is, is phenomenal. Um, the first thing I, I really want to hit home with you, and and I mean, this has made you kind of a household name here in the state of Utah you're everyone's favorite child now you have Utah in the, in the playoffs. How did you come to that conclusion?
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's been great getting to talk with a ton of Utah fans on Twitter. Um, I got to meet a bunch of you out at, uh, at the Rose bowl. I went out for a doubleheader. I did a UCLA night game that Friday night. And then the USC Arizona speaking the next day, uh, when Utah destroyed UCLA that weekend, I met a lot of you there. You can tell it's a passionate and, and knowledgeable fan base too. You guys, Uh, you you can sense that. You talk to fans from across the country, uh, especially Utah, you can sense that. So, uh, kudos there. I've also mentioned this on the Bill Riley show that when I'm watching a Utah game on TV at Rice Echols, you can kind of feel that energy pouring out of the TV. You can feel the, the stadium shaking on that third down jump. You see the camera shaking, um, which is cool. I mean, uh, sometimes when the stadium gets too big or the, you know, the fan base gets too, I don't know, used to the, you know, used to the spotlight. He started to lose that magic, but Utah still has it. And that's on my short list of trips to get to. Um, in terms of how I got to the playoff pick for Utah, there's really two parts to it. One, uh, where I see Utah within the Pac 12 this year as champion. Um, and then the second part was how I saw the playoff bracket shaking out. I I go by, there's four spots for five leagues. Uh, at the top, I had Clemson as as a shoe in at number one. There's really no competition in the ACC. Uh, number two, I went Georgia over Alabama this year out of the SEC. And number three, I went Ohio State over Michigan. Uh, or not over Michigan, but most people are picking Michigan I State. So for the fourth spot, I came down to my Big 12 champ, my Pac-12 champ. And I think the Big 12 uh, between Texas and Oklahoma, the winner that prevails out of there is going to have two losses, uh, or more for that matter. And uh, when I take a look at Utah's schedule, it's very manageable in the non-conference and in the cross-division slate where Utah is missing Stanford and Oregon. Um and uh and yeah, so I think that Utah either goes thirteen and zero or uh twelve and one and I think that the twelve and one will be able to get them in. But uh we can we can break down uh, Utah's roster personnel and staff which really got me excited if you want to go that route.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean I think uh looking at what uh you've got the D line uh ranked number one in the country, you've got the, the D Bs ranked I think num number nine. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on, uh, maybe just expand on why you think they're, they're ranked so high.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so yeah, you're right. We have the number one defensive line country. Uh, I look at two things that when I'm grading these units, especially defensive line, uh, one is your star power at the top and number two, your overall depth because the defensive line, especially you want to be able to rotate guys in, have them fresh late in games and late in seasons. Um, so first with the star power, yeah, you have Bradley and I and Lucky Fotu, both NFL caliber players. I know Bradley and I, well, I guess they both decided to come back. Um, and once that decision was made, you started to really think about Utah going higher than, than, uh, than I did back in November. Um, so right away the star power at the top. And then you have, yeah, so they're, they're surrounded by just a core of guys They could probably rotate 10 deep and, and still not miss a beat. Uh, John Pennesini there in the middle. Um, even a guy like Max DePaille, who, about halfway through the year really started to find his, uh, find his stride. And, uh, you just, there's a lot of positive momentum there that you can spend building into 2019. Um, and to take it a step further really is, uh, when I go through these, these, uh, previews and these conference projections and the whole bit, uh, I put a lot of weight on the coaching staff and their track record of development and player development and talent evaluation and culture, The you know, all the intangibles, but I found ways to numerically show those. And Utah is always up there with the Whittingham staff and player development and win conversion. So there's just an added sense of security that I know that they're going to max out this talent that they have on hand. So all pointers point to a number one defensive line for Utah.
2: Yeah, and I noticed in your breakdown of, of your P5s that you have, you have Utah listed as number one for player development. Kind of what goes into that calculation? I Because mean, obviously, I mean, we're homers. We're going to completely agree with that. That Utah's always kind of finding those kids that are overlooked and and get them to NFL caliber. But kind of what goes into your calculation when you are looking at at teams and, and mainly Utah, what are they doing that's that's making them rank number one in your player development?
1: Yeah, yeah, thanks. I think um, so. In my book, you'll see a lot of uh, newer, you know, advanced stats or things that I've developed. Kind of, I call them win conversions. One of them, player development, game grader. Really, they're numerical ways, uh, to kind of put a number on what we're watching on film. Um, people ask me, like, what metric do I value the most in my predictions? It's really a combination of just hundreds of hours of game tape of calls with coaches and coordinators, listening into, uh, you know, local podcasts and radio shows. Um, so it's really a mix, but what I try and do here is, uh, get a number on these buzzwords you always hear. Like you, you hear everyone, oh, they're great player developers. Really, what went into my formula here to try and get a number on it was I look at their track record of recruiting. So look at the last ten year recruiting trend for for Utah, for example. Uh, I know the five years are around 38 uh, nationally. Then you look at actually what their uh, their output into the NFL. So you're getting a raw talent uh, product on campus as you know raw eighteen year old freshmen. What are they turning out when they're junior, seniors, or fifth year guys going into the pros? And when you combine when you relate their recruiting. Rank to their NFL output, Utah is number one. Um, in the similar sense, when you, uh, when you compare their 10 year rank of recruiting to their win output, Utah better than expected is six in win conversion. So basically, another way to put it, um, to put an example to it is USC is on the very other end of the spectrum in this metric because they, every February, they're signing these five star guys, uh, you know, four and five star guys on, on national signing day and whether it be STEAM, whether it be staff, whether it be program culture, development, the whole bit, uh, they struggle with wins and NFL output relatively to that rank. So when you ask me what is what is Utah staff doing specifically, uh, I think that they're targeting the right guys. It's a good fit, the guys they go after. They want to come in. They want to work hard. They want to do it with integrity. Maybe they'll wait a couple years. Maybe they'll go on a mission and come back. Um, it's just a good fit. They know who they're looking for, uh, and it clicks. Meanwhile, at USC, to use them again as an example, I mean, they're going after the, I hate to say it, but the seven-on-seven seven heroes, right, that are dancing around, making these ridiculous juke moves. But you try and do that on the field in the real game, you get your head blown off.
2: But and um, That's exactly yeah, so how my gets, co-host uh, Ryan is. He He's perfect on the seven-on-seven, seven, but get him in the studio. Oh, wow. He uh, <laughs> just got thrown under the bus.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it because... Uh, yeah, you just see it year, year after year. They're fielding these, these stout defenses, these stingy defenses don't give an inch. Um, it's, it's not an accident after 10 years or, you know, since even the over Meyer days, it's not an accident that's been repetitive this long, uh, this long over. So yeah, so I think that's, that's part of it. Coaching is huge. I mean, the way I talked totally about this on the Bill Riley show, the way that, uh, Morgan Skyley is able to move around players and, and keep them engaged and keep them involved and view it as a positive, not a negative. Because uh, a lot of kids nowadays, when they get told to move in positions, they take it as a as a knock. But the way that he fits his personnel into perfect position, I know moving Chase Hansen down from DB to linebacker last year was genius. I mean, look at the look at his output last year in that transition. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's a lot of factors, but Utah numerically seems to have them all.
0: Is we you know as we. Talk on our podcast a little bit about position groups. where We get obviously get really excited about the D line and the and the DBs. And but when we talk a little bit about the offense, we think, I guess we think maybe the offensive line, at least from our standpoint, is a little bit of a liability or a weakness. Yet you have them ranked uh, fifth in the Pac-12. Can you tell us why you feel that way? Yeah, sure. So um, I
1: think first off. The offensive line is harder to grade than the other positions. I'll be quite honest with that. Um, I look at how the run game performed the year before, uh, and what's coming back that way. Utah shows that they're pretty good, uh, run graders, uh, in run blocking. I have a metric first down yards per carry. I, I hone in on first down in this, in this case because, um, it's almost kind of expected that it's going to be a run play more, you know, percentage wise than any other down and distance. So if you're able to really get a good push on first down when the defense is kind of expecting it, I think that that really shows your quality as a unit. So, uh, Utah was top 25 in that metric. They averaged 5.4 yards per carry on first down, uh, which is 24th. Uh, yeah, I know that you're, you're replacing a few starters there. Um, but overall though, when you look across the personnel at the, at the other schools, they are about middle of the pack. I mean, fifth out of 12 is about middle of the pack, a little bit slightly above average. Um, I like Andy Lowick's track record. Of course, what he did here in 2008 leading that offense all the way undefeated to the uh, the Sugar Bowl there. So, yeah, I I think that's a fair assessment, but uh, probably the biggest liability that I could think of right now, and that's just because it's an uncertainty.
2: Well, as we look at the offense, obviously, I I think with Utah, it starts and, and ends with Zach Moss. He is a favorite here. and I mean, if Utah fans could have it, they would build a statue for him already. Um, out in front of Rice Eccles, but as you're looking at all the other uh, P5 programs around the country, how does, in, in your opinion, how does Zach Moss measure up to the r- other running backs in the country?
1: Yeah, he's a top five running back. Uh, absolutely, there's no there's no way around it. Um, so he went down to injury. I think it was the Arizona State game around there, maybe nine or ten games in. I went back and calculated with his, you know, yards per game average. If he would have gone the whole distance here uh fourteen games, he would have been an eighteen hundred or nineteen hundred yard back. Uh so incredible production. He's a workhorse. He's been doing it for multiple seasons. Um so and also in my book I, I talk about the whole unit overall, the running back unit per se. Uh and it's not just Moss. I know you guys lost Armand Shine who did a great job filling in last year in his absence uh you know towards the the South title towards the end of the year there. You lose Shine but you also get back Devante Henry Cole. Who people forget was Huge, uh huge factor of the 2017 offense. So, yeah, Zach Moss is certainly a workhorse to build around. I think he's top five. I mean, off, off the top of my head, if I had to rattle him off, I'd probably go Jonathan taylor one, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins maybe, um whoever emerges at Alabama. They have, like, five great guys. Uh And then I think right there it would be, you know, Benjamin from Arizona State and Zach Moss are my two Pac-12 guys. So, uh top five, top six is what I'd say for Moss.
2: And then around the state, there's a big discussion, uh, especially on like local sports radios, um, about the three quarterbacks in the state with Jordan Love at Utah State, uh, Ch- uh, the Wilson, Zach. I can't think it was first, Zach Wilson, thank you, Zach Wilson um, down at uh, BYU Provo, and then Huntley up at Utah. And there's a lot of comparisons just within the state. But if we take a, a step back, how do you see – uh, Huntley's game, and, and where do you see him ranking uh, within the Pac-12? Yeah,
1: I think the, that he's definitely uh, upper tier in the Pac-12, upper half in the Pac-12. Um, I don't cover the, the group of five or non-AQ teams as much, uh, if really at all. I've really honed in on the, on the Power Five, sixty-five programs. Yeah, that's uh, all, so you, need <laughs> <laughs> all yeah. you need to worry about oh, is yeah. P5. All you need to worry about is P5. No it's...
2: one cares about BYU or Utah State, <laughs> honestly, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, it's funny you bring it up because, uh, uh, people always ask me, you know, all over the place, what's the best rivalry in college football or what most bitter rivalry? Um, you know, the national guys will just say Ohio State, Michigan, Oklahoma, Texas, but I mean, I'm on Twitter every day. I'm in the trenches with, uh, with Utah and BYU fans. I see it every day. I call it a 365 day rivalry because they guys yeah, they will take a break, man. It's, uh,
0: it's true. And,
1: um, no, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's it's an all time bitter rivalry. I mean that and uh, the Carolina Clemson because uh I say this too because BYU fans know more about Utah than Utah fans. Like you guys know each other's team. It's like <laughs> um, you know they. I, I guess from an outsider, it seems like Utah wants their history with the you know the national title, the twenty years of great passing offenses, and the, the the national brand. But then BYU wants from you guys the the, the biggest prize in Division One athletics, which is the Power Five bid, uh the Pac twelve you know, conference affiliation. So mm-hmm. it's uh it's very interesting to, as an outsider and uh keeps me entertained all days of the year there. So but uh but back to the Huntley and the Pac twelve, I think we're gonna see a big development here. Um the only thing is I wonder if you can complete a whole season healthy. He's been banged up at times. Um but I, I was excited. It was just as the, just as the offense was really starting to fire on all cylinders there in October, um he we went down to injury. It's a shame because, uh, the first, you know, the first four games he started, September, uh, the offense seemed kind of like a one trick pony. It was just kind of, do a drop back and just hone in on wherever Britton Covey was and, and throw it to him, even if he was triple covered or even if some UW defender was going to rip his head off, which my God, that guy took a beating. And I, I give him all the respect in the world, how resilient he was. Um, just kept getting up at time after time. But so yeah, I really saw Huntley grow into October. Uh, I saw some new formations coming out. You saw use that diamond package with some misdirections and, uh, with Moss, you know, workhorse and the ball down the field or to open up play action. So I really like that October Huntley. And, uh, I'm really hoping that we see more of that, especially with my, uh, with my Pac-12 champ pick. I think we, we need to see more of that play from Huntley. Hey,
0: back in the, when we first started, Chatting with you, you'd mentioned that the Utes could possibly go to the playoffs as a one-loss team. Who who do you see as their uh, their toughest opponent? and Who could that loss be if that's the case?
1: Yeah. So my take on that is, I think that the I have faith in the committee that they would take a one-loss Pac-12 champ um, if the other competitor was a two-loss champ in Big 12 uh, or even a one-loss runner-up in the SEC. I think that it has to happen, and this isn't always the best logic. But I think that if you have a five power five leagues and you, uh, the Pac 12 has been out for a couple of years here. I mean, you, you can't keep, uh, you know, keeping the Pac 12 out. Or you're going to just consider them a second class conference, which is ridiculous. So, so anyway, anyways, back to the point here. Um, I think that the toughest game is going to be at Washington. There, there's no way around it. Um, people I see on Twitter are really overhyping USC, which shouldn't be a surprise because USC is the most overrated team in the last decade in the Pac-12, statistically, <laughs> it's I am in opinion, it's numerically. Um, so I think that they go in, I mean, Utah destroyed them last year. They outgained them by over 350 yards. Uh mm-hmm. The score really wasn't indicative of how bad that beatdown was. So I'm not really scared of USC. Um, you know, the Pirate with Boston State's always tough, and it seems Utah's had an issue with them. I think it might be three or four straight losses against them. Um but no, it's the toughest game is at Washington, no doubt about it. My thing is, though, I think if they can afford to lose that, albeit if it's close, competitive, uh, and the team really dominates the rest of its schedule, I think if they lose at Washington, close, and then they go into that Pac-12 title game with a rematch opportunity and blow the doors off of them, you know, win by a couple scores, I think that that avenges that first loss and, and catapults them into the title game, similar to how Oklahoma pulled that off this year, where... Um, it wasn't that strong of a schedule. People were knocking Utah saying if they lose, it's too soft of a schedule. Uh, Oklahoma's schedule last year was was nothing to write home about. Uh, non-conference, they played the winless Chip Kelly UCLA team before they clicked, really. Um, and then uh, in-conference, you saw four coaches get fired out of the Big 12 last year. It was definitely a transitional-type year where some of the good powers were down. TCU was down. K-State was going through a transition. Um, so anyway, long story short, Oklahoma had that same opportunity. They lost to Texas close and then got that rematch on Championship Saturday and beat them pretty convincingly and kind of pulled into the title game. So I think the one game that you you can afford to lose is Washington because you'll get that rematch opportunity.
2: And now, Brett, as you kind of break down your your Pac-12, especially in in the South, you have Utah as as the number one team and ASU second and and USC third, um, if I remember correctly. Is this Utah's conference, is it theirs to lose? Or do you think a team like ASU is, is really going to be able to challenge Utah?
1: Well, looking at only the Pac-12 South, I think, yes, it's definitely Utah's division. Um, although I, w- I will say I, I was pretty impressed with Arizona State um, nationally. And I, I don't want to keep knocking you know, national pundits. But when the Herm Edwards hire happened, it was just a couple of one-liner jokes. Like, ah, he's, you know, he's been out of the game for 30 years. Um, whatever, write them right off. Um, everyone put them last in the South last year. Uh, I had them, I think, third or fourth. It, it was relatively high while everyone had them last. Um, but yeah, because I, I like the, the coordinator hires. When you, when you hire an older coach that's been out of the game for a little bit, kind of a CEO type coach, similar to Mac Brown, uh, you look right to his coordinator hires. And I love the Dan Gonzalez hire, defensive coordinator there. Um, he's a San Diego state disciple of Rocky Longs. They run that three-three-five stack, which is pretty rare. Not many teams do it, so it's hard to defend against or game plan for. And um, yeah, and uh, defensively they get uh, top ten in uh, defensive returning production coming into next year. This after uh, Gonzalez turned them from a bottom one hundred defense to middle of the pack. I mean, it wasn't incredible, but it was it was still a about a fifty spot boost. And I think you get that second year coordinator bonus this year with a ton of production back. Um, so I like their defense offensively. Yeah. They, they lose Nikhil Harry who, um, I mentioned I was out in LA for that double header. He had one of the best catches I've ever seen. It was, uh, he was basically on the ground already and reached out one hand and caught the ball. Uh, he also returned a 95 yard touchdown punt, but, um, but yeah, so they lose Nikhil Harry. They lose Manny Wilkins, a multi-year starter, but I still like the talent all around them. You know, Benjamin, like I mentioned, the workhorse, uh, and the quarterback, the, the floor is pretty low with a former number one dual threat quarterback there. Uh, and, uh, and an experienced fifth-year guy. So I think they'll be fine. I actually like it. I like them more than what USC has coming back. And like I mentioned with USC's track record of squandering, signing their talent, um, I'm not too high on them. So, But, uh, yeah, overall, it's Utah's division. It's just a matter of how they stack up on the conference-wide scale with UW and Oregon. Uh,
2: and that always makes me nervous because Utah, ASU, they always have – some some very interesting games, but it kind of seems ASU kind of gets the better of Utah at times. Um, so I was hoping to hear you say that ASU would just be terrible this year. That Herman Edwards <laughs> doesn't know what he's doing. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I
1: sense a little bit of a rivalry too between the two fan bases on Twitter. There, <laughs> there's like a little weird uh, Arizona State Utah thing for me. <laughs> there
0: is. It, it is. You're you're absolutely right, it, and it's really started within the last year or so.
2: Right. Again, yep. th- thank you so much um, for coming on. Can you kind of please tell our listeners um, all about what you do, where they can find your stuff?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and thanks again for having me on. Like I said, it's been great getting talked to many Utah fans. Um, even before the, the, the playoff pick came out, it's it's been great. Um, so yeah, so Pick 6 Preview is a college football preview company. We launched in 2012, uh, and since that time, we've been rated the most accurate BTS Power 5 predictors. Uh, that's better than all the magazines you find on newsstands, newspapers, other online publications. Uh, there's a third-party tracking site, Statson.com, that, that grades all these, you know, books and previews and things you see on newsstands. Uh, and over that time frame, we're rated the most accurate. Uh, so, and then for this year, uh, what I did personally was um, wrote 65 Power Five team previews, about 1,500 words each. A uh, ton of stack, stack graphics on each page. You have stuff that I. Uh, I try to make a different angle on the whole preseason magazine. I mean, I have respect for those guys, like the Athons and the um, Sporting News of the world. But when it comes down to it, it's a it's hundred different writers. They each write their one team, and they only have room for maybe 500 words. And so, basically, I went all in on this one. I wanted to try it once. Uh, I'm re- I'm pretty confident with the product that came out. I like the reviews coming out, um, and I love your guys' feedback too. But, uh, yeah, basically I put my own spin on it. Yeah, stuff like 10 year recruiting trends, five year win trends, all those creative formulas I talked about, like player development, game grader. Um, and yeah, so, uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. And, uh, and like I said, it's been a pleasure talking to tons of Utah fans on Twitter, uh, email and, and, in person out there at the Rose Bowl game. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to be excited about. And, uh, I love watching Utah games on TV. I'm one of those guys. Even though I am an East Coaster, I'm, I'm stuck in the black hole of college football out here on the East Coast, but um, I'm one of those guys that's up till 2 a.m. still with my three TVs going and watching all of these Pac-12 games, so uh, it's a great brand of football, and I, I hate seeing it get knocked on nationally, so if you notice on Twitter, I do try and stand up to the Pac-12 as much as I can, so...
2: Hey, and we yeah, appreciate so thanks for having me on. Appreciate, we appreciate anything we can get from the East Coast, Yeah. so thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I really just want to echo the... Your your booklet that you put out is is, is phenomenal and and I, I mean I I got Badger. it I was I was gonna dive into into Utah and I spent probably the first hour just rereading the first section of all your breakdowns and and rankings and that I mean a lot of work it, it's phenomenal so again check them out uh, pick six previews dot com Brett hey dude you're all over the country talking to everybody thanks again for, for jumping on with us.
0: Yeah, thank
1: you. Yeah, thanks again, and thanks for thanks for getting the book. Um, yeah, and like I said, I tried to put up my own spin on it. Uh, you'll see in those first introduction paragraphs. Uh, I really tried to bring in the program context, the program history, because it really does matter. I mean, I, I actually enjoy digging in, into some of these under the radar programs, like in Illinois or UNC, uh, more so than the Clemson and Alabama. Everyone just talks about them, so it was kind of fascinating going through, um, and uh, and also in, in some of the pre preseason magazines, you find. Uh, it's, very specific on guys' heights, weights. I mean, you know, everyone's six three, two hundred. We we kinda get that. But uh what I tried to do is dig in and look at, you know, coaching schemes, trends, uh what what they're trying to develop on, on both sides of the ball. Some X's and O's are layered in there and just overall trends like I talked about. So yeah, I tried to make a different spin on it and I really appreciate all your guys' feedback and uh, and compliments on this show and on Twitter. So uh keep up the good work. Uh, I really appreciate having me on.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Dave. We'll we'll be in touch, all right?
1: All right, thank you. Thanks, right, Brett. See you guys, good luck this
2: year. So, a big thank you to Brett for coming on again. You know, check out his his site at com. We have his breakdown of, of all the P5 teams. It's phenomenal, and especially if you're a Utah fan and you want to drink some Kool-Aid. That's something you definitely have to go in and get. So, as we wrap this episode up, Ryan, you had something you wanted to bring up about Zach Moss.
0: Yeah, and, you know, this isn't really earth shattering or breaking news by any means, but any of you who saw any of the TV interviews from Media Day, Zach Moss is a truck. He has put on a ton of muscle. I mean his his thighs, his shoulders,
2: his arms, his neck. It's it's unbelievable. I, it's crazy. I you'd think that he couldn't do any more like last year when yeah. I saw him in the offseason. And then see him this year. Dude, he could kill a man with his pinky. I swear. <laughs> he's he's built. He's
0: going to be tough to bring down. I mean, if his if he can stay healthy, the Utah running back rushing record is going to be completely shattered. And he's going to hold it for a long time. As it should, right? I think if yeah. Utah's going to be successful,
2: it's going to have to ride. Oh, yeah. With Zach Moss. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And we'll talk about I think we'll elaborate that a little bit more as we break down the offense in our next episode. But... Uh, yeah, this this offense is going to be featuring the Zach Moss train,
2: and Ryan, where where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather. That's Drum the letter N Feather. Oh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Utah Man Podcast. You can always download us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you can listen to a podcast. We are there. And you can always go to our home at utahmanpodcast.com. dot com. Go you, go Utes. Go Utes.
0: Go Utes! will be till I die, Kai-yai!
2: Sounds just like it. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah.